entrepreneurs over the age of 50 are the fastest growing demographic um, in this country, in the U.S., and uh, increasingly overseas. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. I hope you enjoyed last week's interview with solo travel guru, Jen Ruiz. Next week, I'll be speaking with acclaimed photographer, Anastasia Podinger, whose project, What Time Creates, is a compilation of photographs of centenarians. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Carrie Hannon is a nationally recognized expert on career transitions, personal finance, entrepreneurship, and retirement. She is a frequent TV and radio commentator and has appeared as a career and financial expert on The Dr. Phil Show, ABC, CBS, CNBC, NBC Nightly News, and the list goes on and on. She's also a columnist and regular contributor to the New York Times, AARP's work and jobs expert, and contributing editor and second verse columnist at Forbes and the PBS website nextavenue.org. She has a new book out called Never Too Old to Get Rich, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Starting a Business Midlife. That's going to be out in the spring of 2019. And we want to talk to her today about entrepreneurship and also, we're going to bring in following passion and and next chapters for women. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Well, thank you for the kind invitation. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, excellent. You know, I've covered a lot of different topics on the podcast, and I'm really excited to have you here today um, because we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship, and that is not something I've covered. So I'm really excited to hear more about your book and, and your expertise on the topic. Well, terrific. It's, when it's, a, it's a subject near and dear to my heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about women in, we can say, the third chapter, the second verse. There's all kinds of names, but is this a thing? Is entrepreneurship really uh, a, a growing phenomenon? You know, it, it really is. And I think that um, studies uh, have shown that entrepreneurs over the age of 50 are the fastest growing demographic. Um in this country, in the U.S., and uh, increasingly overseas. And I think that worldwide, we're seeing this sort of global movement of 
people who reach a point in their lives that they just want to be their own boss. You know, they want to do their own thing. They've, they may have reached all these, um, you know, they've attained the goals that they've, they've set out for themselves or some of the big ticket items are behind them. They've, maybe the kids are launched or the mortgage is paid down or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I often find that sometimes people have lost somebody close to them, or they've had a health scare or a health crisis, and they suddenly say, oh my gosh, what's this all about? Shouldn't I be doing something that really resonates with me, that I've always wanted to do? Mm -hmm. And so this is a time in life where a lot of people I meet and I've interviewed and counseled and so forth say, hey, this is my time to start my own thing, to really, let's see where I can go with this. And, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about starting these these huge, you know, million dollar companies. These can be, you know, very small companies, um, you know, almost micro businesses. But what's important to note is that it's not just an American sensation. It's a global movement. You know, older adults say lead about a third of all the new firms in Australia and are the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs there. So, I mean, it's they're kind of brashly stepping into this startup ethos, you know, and you don't mm-hmm. need to you don't need to have, you know, be be wearing, you know, sort of uh everyone thinks of the kids, you know, sort of a, as a entrepreneur being someone in their twenties like a wearing a, a hoodie and jeans or something, <laughs> you know. So so it's not true anymore. So let's just open up our minds about what the possibilities are. Oh, I love that. And it sounds like what you're saying is people, and we're focusing on women right now, are are saying, if not now, when? Exactly. And I think, you know, women particularly, um, it's a a really neat opportunity uh, to to really step up and start uh, working together. Women are often very successful as entrepreneurs for a couple of reasons, but one is that women are very collaborative, mm-hmm. and we we have no problem asking for help. And th- you know, we don't need to do it all on our own. We know how to reach out to build a team of people to work with us to help us move forward, and we're we're mm-hmm. able to start in stages. You know, to kind of take it bit by bit. Um, so I find that that. Um, and one woman who I, I interview for, for my book, um, uh, she uh, her name's Natalie uh, Nino, and she is the founder of a company called Brava Investments. And, and she told me that in her studies um, and case studies from Harvard, women over 50 are twice as likely to be successful as other entrepreneurs. That's so interesting. So you talk about women loving to affiliate, that that's our natural way. We say, what do you think? Well, I have this idea. What do you think? And so we can use the power of the group. Why, why, what are the other reasons why we might be so successful? Um, I think that that women are also. Um, it doesn't mean it's it's easier for women, but but women. Now, one thing that we do have against us, and I will say this right up front, is women do have a harder time getting capital to to start a business. Um, it can be much diffi- more difficult for them to get a bank loan and that sort of thing. So so it's really uh, there's that sort of sexism at work there, and a lack of capital can be can be a serious concern, but. But see, entrepreneurship is really, as I mentioned before, it's really a team sport. And so women are really good at, at that. And I also think that, um, you know, it's it's this sort of natural ability to have a diverse, 
group of people that we work for, that we worked with, that we bring into our fold with us. And women also tend to stay the course. We don't jump in and out of things lightly. We do our homework. We prepare. We, um, you know, so we take the time to really see the opportunities for our business, to do our research, to find out, do we really fill a gap in the product or the service we want to bring? And we're willing to start in baby steps often. And I'm not trying to be he and she and one against the other, but Mm. men are more apt to want to jump in quickly and jump out quickly if it's not working. I see. You know, they, they kind of get a great idea and they want to hit the home run. We don't care as much about hitting that home run immediately. We're very patient. Ah, and I wonder, you know, where where I go is, I wonder what that says about our brains and how, you know, things are wired. Because certainly, you know, you're talking about um, a different way of thinking and approaching life. It's, it's definitely that. And I think that it, it's important to, to know that, that it's okay um, to, and, and what the beautiful thing is also, is women can be very clear-eyed about things, you know, and so they, they understand that they can wait for, for the intangibles, you know, and so forth. But what I was going to say is that there are many groups now, and the Small Business Administration in the U.S. is good with this, um, that really help female entrepreneurs get started. And so um, I think it's important to reach out to women's um, specific groups that really are there to help you write a business plan and assemble mm-hmm. a support team uh, and those sorts of things. So a lot of it is is sort of having the the proper mindset from the start and, and taking baby steps. Mm-hmm. I see. Could you give us, you? I know you have interviewed people, you think about this all the time, you really, you know, know a lot about this. Could you give us a little story about somebody who took baby steps, who, you know, who, who went into this as a team sport, um, and, and what their progression look like? Well, absolutely. One one is not going to be the first one I'm going to tell you is not exactly the team sport approach. Okay. But this is <laughs> this goes in the category of Now, this is what happens a lot when when you're um approaching 50 or over 50 is you might be encouraged to take a retirement package from your company or you're downsized. And um, maybe you do have a package of some sort. So you have a little bit of resources behind you and you decide, you know, I'm way too early not to be working. Um, I have a lot more to contribute. And mm-hmm. so you might want to keep uh, working and, and starting your own business as sort of uh, on a halfway measure, but maybe it's full steam ahead. And so there's a woman I know who she was a, an attorney here in Washington, D.C. And she uh, also was a lobbyist, and she took a retirement package, an early one in her early 50s. And you know what? She absolutely loved to garden. Gardening was her thing. Uh. And she would go into the garden, and that was her hobby. And believe me, she's a fabulous gardener. But she decided when she took her, her early retirement that she was going to start a business as a landscape designer. So that was sounded. She got cards made up. She started to, you know, people who knew her said, hey, absolutely, you know. But the fact is, when she got into the garden and it became her full-time job, she was miserable. She was miserable because for her, gardening was her respite. That was her place to go, to be quiet, to get away from people, to get away from all the anxiety of her main career. When it became her job and her business, it was really lonely. It was really lonely, and she quickly realized, hey, I'm going to ruin my hobby here. I'm getting back to doing something different. So 
So Shu moved on into another direction, but it's a cautionary tale that you need to just be a little bit, uh, be, be conscious about what you want to, what you want to start and how you're going to, to go about it. Um, another, uh, woman I know, she started a business as a, um, she always loved to travel. For example, that was, and she worked uh, in the cable industry. She had a big job and she um, reached a point in her life that, but she was always helping her friends plan trips. And she ended up starting a business um, of her own that she started as a side gig while she was still working full time. So she led it games deep, but really managing these ex- kind of exotic travel trips for women. And mm. it's been really successful. Is it a blockbuster? She makes a lot, a lot of money. No. Does it pay for a really nice um, uh, lifestyle for herself? Yes. And she gets to travel and do the things she loves. And it's really, truly something that came from her passion. So, and there, you know, there are other, you know, fun things that, so people, you can might start a business from a passion or you can start it from something that you've always, you know, something you've always loved to do or something you truly um, care about. That's a, that's a real passion for you. So that, that is a mission more than a, more than just a hobby. Uh, mm-hmm. But I find that, that um, female entrepreneurs are really, really a lot of fun. So this, here's another quickie. So there's a woman who um, I profile in my book uh, named Joan Sadler, and she is 59 years old now. But Joan was a nurse, and you know she just got so burned out uh, in the nursing field. And well, she it was something that a wonderful career for her. Um, ever since she was a little girl, she absolutely loved horses. And she remembers like when she was a kid, her parents taking her to Virginia Beach for pony rides at the carnival. And she never wanted to get off the ponies. They'd go <laughs> round and round. And so as she got older, you know, she she rode horses and, and she got jobs as she got a little bit older. She was actually became quite a, a pretty good rider. And she would even gallop racehorses or groom for, for stables and so forth. And you know, when she read one thing that she had done, her grandfather was carved wood. And she has these childhood memories of going back and watching him carve. And, and she would kind of fuss around with wood carving. But when she got to this point, she her husband actually helped her set up a little studio in her garage. But when she got to the point where her nursing career was no longer fulfilling for her and really, you know, not in a good space, she started figuring out what can I do that combines something I love with, you know, with doing this woodworking. And she started a woodworking, a horse themed woodworking business about four years ago. And she travels around to horse competitions and she makes these beautiful, um, say planters out of, you know, carved in the shape of pony heads. And then you have a planter or saddle and bridle racks, beautiful wood and, you know, trunks to carry your equipment in and all kinds of things. And it started really as a dabbling in a woodworking hobby, but it's turned into this really super business that people know her. And now they reach out to her online through her, you know, through her website and so forth. So what I'm saying is there's lots of different ways to slice and dice starting a business. And it's being open to whether you want to start a business, um, you know, doing a hobby again or starting a business where you're providing a service to someone. Mm-hmm. Now, what about people who I, I see a lot of teachers in my uh, clinical practice, which if you, you know, know any teachers won't surprise you. <laughs> They're under a lot of stress and 
uh, feel like they're not really in control of a lot of, you know, their work. Um, And they get to the point where, you know, they can retire if they have 30 years in typically, at least in New York State, at 55. And as you say, they have a lot more time left. And some of them have been so immersed in their careers uh, and possibly raising their family, maybe taking care of their, you know, parents that, you know, what I see is people saying, I don't know what I want to do. I know I want to do something, but I've never had the luxury of asking myself, what do I like? Because I'm always serving others. That's a very good point. And I think, you know, I, I talked to lots of groups of, of people who are interested in starting their own business. And, and often there is this fear, like, maybe I don't have any passions, you know, <laughs> maybe there isn't that one thing, or maybe there is a myriad of things you want to do. So it really is doing taking doing that soul searching and taking the time to think about what are the things that really make you happy? And often it is something going back to your childhood mm-hmm. that you enjoy doing that you had to set aside for a time in yeah. order to pursue that linear career that you had. Um, and I often tell people that at this stage, you know, nothing's forever. You might, it's like a, a, a patchwork quilt. You might start a small business doing one thing and you might end up doing something else in a few mm-hmm. years. And nothing is as permanent. It's not like your primary career that was very linear and you moved along and moved along. This is a time in your life to try out different things. And if you're really seeking for what is it you're good at and what it, what are some of your hidden talents, you know, talk, reach out and ask the people who know you, what do you think I'm good at? And mm-hmm. what comes back to you is interesting. You're like, oh yeah, I kind of mm-hmm. took that for granted. Yeah, I didn't think of it. But you know, one thing I, I'd love to share with your audience is what I, sort of a core program that I talk to people who want to start their own businesses at this age. It's really important that you be fit. And I call it like Carrie's fitness program. Mm -hmm. And in order to succeed, um, uh, there's a couple of things before we get to the nuts and bolts of the fitness program. Any, uh, I also wrote a book called What's Next, which is also about starting over into second careers and encore businesses uh, at, after uh, your primary career. And some of the things that made people successful in making this turn to starting their own business is, you know, they didn't make any rash moves. They mm. took their time and did their homework and their research to see where the opportunities were, where the market might be for something. Mm. They networked and they reached out to people who were doing those kinds of jobs or in that field to to get help and to shadow them and see what it's all about. They volunteered and they did the job first. They apprenticed or they moon they were moonlighting because sometimes something like I mentioned our gardener, you know, seems really dreamy, but when you're actually doing it on a day-to-day basis as your business, it's not so dreamy. So if you can you know, if you can volunteer and do it first for a while to kind of get your feet wet, is it something you really truly want to do? And and they added any skills or certificates they might have needed uh, to move forward. You know, I have a woman who started a business uh, making chocolates and, you know, she went back to school to, you know, to learn more about the fine techniques that she would need and so forth. But I mean, it's, it's not something, you know, to take lightly. You often do need a certification or to add some new skills. So to, I get, I suggest people take three to five years. It takes a while before you're going to say, Hey, I've really successfully launched a business. It's a process. It does mm. not happen overnight which again is why women are quite good at this because we are patient. So those are some of the, the necessary steps. But 
The other piece of this that's really critical is to be fit. And these are the three things that can really help you succeed as an entrepreneur. Number one, you need to be physically fit. And Mm -hmm. I don't mean bench pressing or running fast miles. (laughs) You know, I really, I mean, you need to have an eye to eating healthy, but you need to do something. I walk my dog, you know, know, for a half an hour or more Mm -hmm. every day. But even if you had... Uh, 20 minutes a couple times a day where you went swimming or but build a fitness program because particularly for women at this age people judge a book by its cover so whether you're trying to find new clients or find you know business uh, people to work with you um, there's people you know well women will say do I need to have Botox or should I dye my hair and I'm uh. like no 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 you need to get physically fit because when you're physically fit you have this energy you have yes. this positive vibe you know that right mm-hmm. I mean you see that mm-hmm. I mean you give off this can-do spirit and people want to work with you they want to be, be you know they want to be part of your world so I encourage people to to really get physically fit number two if you can get financially fit, because starting a business, often you're not going to be able to pay yourself initially, and you might need to have capital for startup costs and so forth. So if you can take the time to do a budget, you know, where can you cut back? Where can you get lean and mean? Can you, you know, pay down your mortgage? Can you um, get some of those big credit card debts paid down if you have them? Anything you can do to find ways to really, you know, you might relocate and, you know, downsize to a smaller home if it's appropriate for you. So there's ways, but it's really important to, to be financially fit because then you have it gives you um opportunity it gives you it's so liberating because when i talk to people who start their own businesses debt is the biggest dream killer i mean that is the one that brings you down so if if you can open yourself and the final piece is one that i know you relate to so much is you need to be spiritually fit and i don't mean this in the sense that we will religion i'm talking about a meditation practice, mm-hmm. Tai Chi, somewhere that you can go that you can be centered, you know, yoga, whatever it might be that you is your space where because making a change and starting a business is enormously stressful. And so if you can find your quiet space, that's really important. Again, I get that from walking my dog out in the country, but uh-huh. we all can find those places. Boy, I love that advice. And you're really talking about Uh, A couple different things here. I think sort of the big picture on living well, but also you're saying, look, you've got to prepare yourself for this. It's it's going to require thought and it's going to require you being in good physical and mental shape. And, you know, it, it, it. it's uh the resources that are going to be necessary both financial spiritual energy all of that to really get yourself in the best shape to go forward and be successful it's so true it's the whole picture it's not that yes i have a brilliant idea to start a business Ah. it is it's so much more than that that's a starting point you know and it's this desire and you know what the one thing and be prepared for this too most people who become entrepreneurs and start their own businesses at this stage they say to me you know i work harder than i ever did that's for sure (laughs) But you know what? It's worth it. Like they only wish they had started it sooner. So I think Mm -hmm. it's really important to, you know, be prepared and be realistic because things don't happen overnight. It's a process Mm -hmm. to success. And each of us have a different definition of what it means to be a successful um, entrepreneur. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, be, you know, set your goals. And again, 
There's no ideal starting point either. You know, just get started. Do something. Make one phone call every day or do some research every day. You know, just, you know, do baby steps. And another uh, sort of exercise you can do is do that vision board. It sounds hokey, but I love the idea of having, you know, this board I look to about the things that why I'm starting my own business and, and an image that sort of motivates me or mm-hmm. or maybe a bunch of images about why being my own boss is really important to mm-hmm. me right now and what rewards it gives me. Yeah, I think what you're saying is so important. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Seth Godin, the thought leader, and he says it's drip by drip. You're taking the <laughs> long, long view here. It's and it can be very frustrating and disheartening. Um, and uh, you need to have a place to be able to talk about that, maybe with your people, um, and have a, a spiritual practice. Or, you know, I sort of do the spiritual knitting practice where I'm very quiet and I'm knitting and there's something about that, you know, kind of rhythm. It's very soothing. It puts you into a state of mind that's it's sort of meditative. Um, but I think that's really important. The other thing I really appreciate, and you are preaching to the choir is, you know, if it means taking your dog out in nature, you have got to do something to move that body. And it does, I, I hate, I hate the uh, concept of boot camps. I'm more about, you know, your body is made to move, it's designed to move, and it's happy moving. So to find something that feels good and is, you know, that's just key to being able to think clearly. And you just, yeah, you do. You come back energized. And I find I get some of my best ideas when I'm out just walking in nature. I mean, it's just kind of, I just let my mind kind of float. And, you know, sometimes it's just a lyric from a song that keeps going through my head. But but sometimes it's a little more uh, more concrete. But do you know what I mean? It's really quite, quite, um, quite a great opportunity. And it's a gift you can give yourself. Absolutely. I interviewed Florence Williams, who talks about the scientific reasoning behind why walking in nature is so good. Um, and so that's that's really a fascinating read if you haven't looked at that. Um, let what, me just you, you, go ahead. You know, one other one other quick thing is when another thing when we talk about being our own boss and working for ourselves and so forth, you know, when we talked initially about how women are very collaborative and we're good at this, I think it's really important to, you know, surround yourself with people who energize you. Yes, you might find yourself working uh, out of a home office or working solo. Uh, it's so easy to start a business with without bricks and mortar today that we're often at, virtually at our computers. But if you can leverage having, you know, people around you who support you and, you know, also people who will... Um, explain to you why something might not work, but but people who can help you stay accountable and energized and, and not people who bring you down. So it's really important, the board of directors, so to, so to speak, that you surround yourself with. Oh, I love that. Yeah, people who are encouraging and, and help you maintain your confidence. Carrie, let me just switch gears for a minute and ask you about your evolution as an expert. Um, and what? tell me a little bit about how you came to be um, so interested in entrepreneurship, finance, and retirement. Well, sure. Well, one of my, um, I guess the, the, the most interesting aspect of it is for me is that I... Um, 
I grew up in a family that was, my father was entrepreneurial. So, you know, I, he ran his own business. So we had a family business. So I was kind of at the dinner table. We always talked about business. And um, so that was kind of fun. And you know, as I moved along through my career, I, I went to work at Forbes because that was the magazine my dad got at home. And uh, I set my sights and I told them when I interviewed there, I said, you know, I'm going to be in New York for, uh, which I wasn't, but um, could, I, could I come by and could I stop by? And they let me. And this is what you do when you're in your 20s. And uh, they said, why do you want to work here? I said, because my dad got the magazine and I got the job. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy, crazy good. But anyway, so I kind of have always been fascinated by business and so forth. But when I went from Forbes, I went from there to working for Money Magazine. Now, I had never, I had gone through some personal finance issues of my own from running up credit card debts, living in New York. How crazy is that? We all remember those days. And um, I was able to start writing about personal finance and how to take control of your financial life to be financially secure. And oh my gosh, this was something that resonated with me and with my friends. I was talking to people I knew and helping them. So that was a nice switch. Um, when I started, uh, and then I kept moving along through different interesting jobs in the journalism field. But um, my last job, I was at USA Today, and I was really miserable. I was writing a column about retirement and taxes. But I was really unhappy, and it was it had been my lifetime goal is to have a column in a national magazine, um, my career goal, that is, uh, and I had it, and it just didn't feel right, and I said to my dad, you know, he said, how's your work going, and I said, it's awful, and he said, well, he said, well, quit, and you know what, I went back, and I quit, and um at that time, I had written a few books by that time, uh, a book for uh, books on financial issues for women, uh, Suddenly Single and Retirement Guide for Women. But I all of a sudden, the world has a way of making life interesting for us. I was given an opportunity to write a coffee table book about Navajo weaving. Had nothing oh. to do with anything, right? Oh. So I went out to the Four Corners and I spent time on the reservation profiling weavers, which is some of them did not speak. English. And it was, um, I had a translator and it was, uh, looking, looking at a world I'd never seen before. And, you know, you'd be 40 minutes down a dirt road from a main road. I'd interviewed this one woman in her eighties who, I gosh, she wrote, she wove monumental rugs, unbelievably mm. monumental mm. rugs. And she raised eight kids in this Hogan with no running water and no electricity. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is America, right? It just like, wow. And all my East Coast sensibilities. And I was asking her questions and she said, you ask questions nobody thinks about. And I looked outside of her Hogan and it was so beautiful. I mean, it was magnificently beautiful. And I thought, and she was pure joy. And it got me thinking about work and what we do and our jobs and why it matters and who it, who we are because of what we do and what joy it brings us. And I got to tell you, my whole life shifted and I oh came my, back. I have chills. I have chills. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so true. And I came back and I just got really deep into this whole area of work and love and bringing meaning to our lives and those around us. And I, and I started, I spent three years traveling around the country, writing 
uh, interviewing people who had done something for 20 or 30 years and shifted to do something completely different and made these radical turns, you know, um, from, you know, being with the Navy to running away with the circus, you know, it was just fantastic. And I didn't necessarily want to be those people, but they, I wanted to have mm. that sense of inspiration oh, and adventure. Yes. And, and that's why I write about work and jobs. And that's why I think it's so important to start your own business. If you want to give it a try, I mean, it, it is so important to follow and pursue paths that bring meaning to our lives. And hopefully, by doing that, you are influencing others. Oh, my goodness. I love that story. That is so beautiful. I mean, you're talking about work, but you're talking about the meaning of life. I mean, these are existential questions that you're, it sounds like you're, you're tackling in, in different ways. It, 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 I guess it is, you know, and it just hits to your core. And I know you feel this way too about your work. I mean, this is why we get up every morning, you know. I think, you know, and I mentioned earlier, often you you lose somebody close to you too early and you realize, you know, that cosmic question, life is short, what am I doing with my time? And and I had that happen in my life, not when I made this shift to focusing on this kind of expertise and really digging into this this genre and this area but I mean just last year I I lost my brother who was 55 suddenly Mm -hmm. and oh my goodness once again it just struck me that I am so grateful that I get up every morning and I do work that I love Mm -hmm. oh my goodness that is so powerful I love, I just love that message. Now, I'm wondering, and I'm sure you've thought about this yourself, but if you had not had that turn of events where you were sitting with those Navajo weavers, what do you think would have happened? Would there have been another turn of events? Would you have come to it yourself? How do you imagine that would have uh, worked out? Wow, that is such a hard thing to crystal ball going backwards. Um, I just, I don't know. I know that I was stuck. I was stuck in my career and I had reached the goals that I'd set out for myself and they didn't, they didn't hold the magic I thought Mm -hmm. they would. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I'm quite certain I would have done a, you know, started on a, a more of a soul searching path looking other directions to what it might be. And frankly, I I love horses. So maybe I would have ended up writing about horses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it had to change. (laughs) But I had to change something. I knew I didn't want, I needed to get off the, the, the treadmill of kind of moving up through an organization. And, and I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to have that autonomy. I wanted freedom. You know, in the last full-time, you know, the last in-house job I had, I shouldn't say full-time because I, again, like everyone else, work harder than I ever did. Um, I I couldn't stand having to ask permission to go across the bridge for lunch, you know, to leave the building. Mm. You know, it was like they wanted you to be in the biosphere all the time. For me, I like having the freedom to not ask somebody permission to go walk my dog or to go ride my horse or to go visit my 89-year-old mom. You know, I don't have to ask anybody's permission. I just do it and I make it work around me. So I think I had that spirit inside me that I wanted to work for myself. But even for your listeners who don't have the opportunity right now to start their own business, think of yourself always as me, Inc. I mean, you've heard this probably before, but it's so important to approach all of your work, even if you're working for one employer 
as an entrepreneurial adventure and they are your primary client. It's a shift in your thinking, it's a shift in your mindset, but think of them as your client. Say more about that. I'm not sure I'm quite understanding that, Carrie. Can you can you say that another way? Yeah, I like the idea of taking ownership of the work we do. So whether we're working for an employer um, where you go to an office or, you know, somebody else is your primary employer, if you don't see yourself as just a cog in the wheel, okay, that's one way that we look at work. We're just one of a whole, you know, bunch of team of people working at for, you know, a big organization that might be, you know, not have a lot of personal touch to it. If you see yourself as me, Inc., like you are your own entrepreneurial business, you mm-hmm. yourself are a business and that client, that employer that you go to every day is your primary employ- a- a client. And so you approach it like, Uh, as you would a business, like you are working for them as you would for your best client. And I think you often do better work because you're trying to approach it as you're the boss. You kind of turn it around in a way in your head. I'm not saying you need to do that verbally, but in your own head, you kind of make that shift that you're in control. And I think that's all of us want to be that. And often, uh, again, you know, it's, it's hard to do, but you can at this stage, if you're thinking of it as me, Inc., then you might start a little side gig just to test the waters to see mm-hmm. if there's something you truly want to do. And you have to be careful not to interfere, interfere with your primary client, your employer. Sure. But again, uh, there's a, it's just a way of reframing your workspace. You know, I have a client who has a regular full-time job and she has an Etsy shop. And, you know, this is her precious little side gig and she gets so much joy from it. It's just delightful to hear her talk about it. It's not a a huge moneymaker, but it's her little baby, you know. She designs the, um, I guess you have a page or a profile and she puts a lot of love and thought into that. And you can just see it bringing bringing her really deep satisfaction. She she sort of glows when she talks about it. Well, I love that. That is like a perfect example of how entrepreneurship can be incorporated in all of our lives. If you, you know, and she probably dedicates a fair amount of her free time to doing that, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like it, I bet. You know, right, right. And, and uh, the rewards are, are so great. I love the vision of her, you know, just kind of lighting up over when she talks about it, because that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, and, you know, I have had the experience of a shop owner saying to me, I would buy your knitted goods, you know, what, what, what would you charge for them? And I thought to myself, you know how long it takes me to do this? That would take the, all the, just like your uh, woman gardener example. Uh, you just know that that's not a, a good fit, a good match. And I don't think that this is necessarily an intellectual process. It's just like, mm, no, that's not going to work. You, you just know it in your being. Yeah, because that can suck the joy out of it. You don't want to get involved in that. You want to keep your joy and hold on to it tightly. But but again, there are some people that do have side gigs that, you know, maybe they they love photography or, you know, something like that, that that's a little, it might be uh, something that they can market in, in a way in a side gig to build out a little business. And some of that is nice because, again, it goes to that uh, sort of psychological feeling of being that you're not stuck, that you're not completely mm. dependent on one source of income, that you mm. do have other talents that aren't being used in the workplace. But 
Um, it's really, you know, it's really important to stay broad, but do that, take the time and, and really, you know, work, jot down in your notebook things that really make you happy, things you might build a little business out of, and you never know where it might lead. I love that you combine this sort of existential, you know, what's my life for? What, what do I, you know, it's all, I don't know if it's a legacy question, but you know, why am I here? What makes me happy? And then you have these really practical aspects. You're not just saying follow your bliss. You're saying, think about your bliss and also, you know, make sure you've got these things in line. I think that's so important to have both sides of the equation. I, 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 I'm glad you feel that way because I just think, I think we all have so much innate talent and ability to, to make a difference in the world and, and, and make our journeys better. And the fact is we have to earn a living. <laughs> Most of us have to earn a living. So find something you like to do. And maybe, maybe you do have to have that regular job in that before you, you know, and have your side gig uh, over here that you're working on. But, but even, you know, this is a slightly off tangent, but I have another book I wrote called Love Your Job. And, and I wrote that book because I would go out and I'd talk to audiences of people over 50 who were looking for work and having a really hard time in the job market. And they really wanted jobs. They needed jobs because they have not, not enough saved for retirement and so forth. And I'd come home and my friends would be complaining about their boss or their job. And I thought, oh, get over it. Mm. Come on. You know, if you're so miserable, let somebody else have your job, you know, because you need to turn it around. And so I wrote that book, Love Your Job. And, and when I talk to people about really, what do you love about your job? It's not usually the job itself. It really is the people you work with. It's the mission of the company or the service that they provide. You know, it's really um, the, the opportunity to continue to learn, the opportunity to travel. There's things like that that kind of, I see it as the joy around the edges of a job. So, ah. you know, don't ever let yourself get stuck in a job or stuck in a career and feel bored. Or sometimes people say they're bored with their job or they're, or they say, actually, they say they're unhappy, or they don't like their job, but it really is because they're bored, because they're not getting promoted anymore, or they've quit learning on the job. You know, shake it up, raise your hand and ask for some new duties on your own job, uh, you know, at your current workplace, you know, uh -huh. take a course, even if you take a class, and you know this from your work too, psychologically, if you take a class in anything, once you learn something new, well, even if it's say, let's say glass blowing, you once you start to learn something new, your whole brain shifts. Oh, you for start, sure. You start looking at the world a different way. And it's an incredibly energizing uh, way to redirect your energy and your focus and what you, how you see the world. So, you know, that's what I always say. You know, reach out and learn something new if you're really bored with your job. Ask for new duties. Get scared a little bit. Uh, you know, agree to do something you maybe never did before. Oh, my gosh, that's scary. But you might really surprise yourself. Yeah, I mean, m much of the happiness research points to the state we're in when we're just starting to to learn something that's challenging and we kind of get it, but we're not quite there yet. Many people, you know, that's the whole state of flow. Many people will say, that's where I lose time. That's where I am in totally in the present moment without my worries, without my, you know, concerns and, you know, whatever, is that you're just in that absolute present state. And that's 
what feels really good to us as humans. Yeah, you're firing. And then then the other kind of quickie tips to really fall in love with your work again are, this is a basic that a lot of people talk about these days, but it's so true, is if you can declutter your workspace. Now I'm looking around at mine and it is not, I'm not practicing what I preach at the moment, but it's true. If you start decluttering, you're making decisions about, I value this, I don't value that. Ah. And that's a great way to start thinking about your work. I value this about it. I don't value this about it. It's a shift. The, and it can be very uh, uh, empowering. The second thing I encourage people to do is to volunteer. If you can find something in your workplace or if you work for yourself, get out and do something and you feel stuck, get out and volunteer. Do something for somebody else because it really comes back to you and it's really gives you a boost in a new way. It gives you a new perspective. So, Mm. and if you can volunteer through your workplace, doing something with other colleagues, maybe from other departments, you're meeting new people, you're bonding. And again, that whole thing is we like who we work with. So you're making new relationships. You're not just, you know, you're reaching out. So that's a neat thing to do. And another study I found is people who and I think this is true. People who laugh and smile on the job are more engaged in their work. So try to remember to smile, you know, <laughs> and and tell a joke or, you know, or Back you tell to basics. somebody. Yeah. And if you're having a crappy day at work or you're stuck and you're working out of your home office for yourself and you're down and down, you know, think, you know, if you, if somebody else out there is having a good day and if you can, if one of your colleagues or someone, you know, even if it's virtual has just gotten a promotion or they had a great review, you know, say congratulations, good job, because not only do you make them feel great, you feel better yourself just for having said that. Oh, I love that. You are full of great suggestions. You you know, it sounds like you could go on and on and on, that you have just <laughs> really understood this at every single level of motivation and just, you know, what makes life feel good. Um, where can people find you, Carrie? Because I think they're going to want to learn a lot more about all of your offerings. Oh, terrific. Yep. Um, my website is com. So that's K-E-R-R-Y-H-A-N-N-O-N.com. Okay. And on Twitter, Twitter, it's at Carrie Hannon. So at K-E-R-R-Y-H-A-N-N-O-N. And I would just absolutely love to hear from anyone. And, um, my, I think I even have my emails up there on my website, so feel free to reach out. And um, I ha- I'm on Facebook as well. Great. And is your new book available for pre-order, or do we have to wait for that a little while longer? It'll be out uh, the May, I think May is the, is the pub date. I so appreciate the big picture and the practical steps. What a great... Uh, thank you so much for all of your knowledge and your wisdom and your just the way you approach this. I think it's your your information is so accessible and so helpful uh, for people who have been thinking, you know, what else can I do? What would be fun? What would be new and different? Um, it just really provides this uh, this idea of possibility. Oh, well, thank you. I just, I really appreciate uh, being asked to be your guest and, and your show is just awesome. So, so thank you. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, having other conversations with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. Next week, I'll be speaking with acclaimed photographer, Anastasia Podinger whose project What Time Creates 
is a compilation of photographs of centenarians. Pottinger burst on the national and international scene when her black and white portrait series of centenarians went viral and was featured on thousands of websites and in publications all around the globe. The series continued to grow and soon became the book 100, What Time Creates. And you can listen in on our conversation next Saturday. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses, and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to Patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.